Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Thank you all for coming today. I don't know if you had any better offers, but I'm thankful that you uh, showed up this morning. Even if you traveled all the way from the San Francisco area, thank you, Garrett, for being here today. Garrett's uh, patrolling for us in the Coast Guard in uh, uh, San Francisco Bay there. In case you ever want to get jump in there or anything, he'll drag you out. Uh, so it's good to have you. Um, this morning, we are in the context of Matthew chapter 18. Uh, we are talking about greatness and sin. Greatness and sin. And, and really, uh, it's this whole conversation, and really as Jesus goes from... Uh, the, the disciples wanted to talk about being great. And most of the time, we want to talk about being great. Uh, you think about, as a man, uh, if you want to know how men work... They just want to be told that they're great at everything, or they're the best, or uh, they are the best at their job, and they're smarter than everybody they work with. Uh, it's pretty rough for me, actually, to uh, do that, because I work with some pretty smart people. Uh, they like to, little boys like to be told that they're stronger, or taller, or uh, they got a better grade on their test. And uh, women, I, I assume, like those things too, but I just know from a man's perspective, uh, they want to know that they're the best. The disciples, as they gathered uh, around, they came to Jesus and they wanted to know, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And they probably were thinking in their mind, maybe what they left to follow Christ and what they had accomplished thus far, and how they thought about following him, and, and how this plays out, and where they were in the food chain. They, they wanted to talk about the greatest. And, and I want to tell you, there's a delusion to this, right? Uh, we're really not the greatest at anything. At, at anything. Uh, being in Tehachapi may give you that feeling of, I'm the greatest, Okay. And you know why? Because it's small. It's small. It's the small pond, if you will. And you can say, I I'm the greatest uh, in this. In fact, uh, it's bad to have a large family if you're a kid. Did you know that? Because there's this competition, and it it's hard to find yourself to be the greatest. And there's all kinds of competition, and you're, you're always trying to say, what is it that I'm the best at better than the people next to me? And so in the backdrop of all we're talking about, we've been talking about for the last three, four weeks, I want you to keep in your mind the delusion of being the greatest. This is what we love to talk about. And I want to tell you, uh, you're not the greatest. And you say, I came here for that this morning. You're not the greatest. Uh, I hate to break it to you. Hate to be the one, but it's this internal struggle. Who's the greatest? I don't know, but you're not the greatest, and I'm not the greatest either. Um, let that sink in for a moment. And so he talks about that, and how he answers that, do you remember it was through a little child. He brings a little child, and he places it before uh, them, and he says, look, you know, this little child, unless you become like this little child, you have this childlike trust in me and following me, guess what? You can't even enter into the kingdom. Jesus doesn't uh, answer their question, who's the greatest, but rather gives them an example 
of what he's looking for an entrance into his kingdom. And then he continues on with this childlike uh, idea that these little ones, this idea, and, and he talks about sin upon sin upon sin. And this morning, guess what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about sin. I, I, I realize that most of the time, if we get over the delusion of greatness, we drop to the bottom of sinfulness. If I'm not the greatest, I must be the worst. In fact, my life is so pathetic, and I sin in this awful way, and I'm worthless, and God doesn't love me, and God doesn't care about me. My life is meaningless. I might as well just go and sin a bunch more and live the loser life because I am one. Maybe you say, well, I've never thought that. You probably have. You probably have. You probably struggled with this. Once you get over the delusion of greatness and you get a glimpse of your own wickedness and then you say, well, I'm not the best. I must be the worst. And once sin deserves another and another and another. And it causes us to quit trying and quit walking and laying down and allowing us to uh, just quit walking with the Lord, quit following after Him, asking maybe the question, why does my life even matter? You might feel dirty and sinful and wicked and worthless. And the problem is that nobody is great and everybody sins, right? Right? That nobody is great and everybody sins. And today what we're going to talk about is, is this idea of how, why is sin important? And we, we've seen this over and over. We, we went from the, the conversation of who's the greatest and the little child to uh, don't be the one that leads this, uh, one of his little ones into sin. And he, he talked about also the idea of tempting one of these little ones, that that shouldn't be us. Uh, and last week we looked even at the heart of the Father seeking the wandering sinner. And this morning, I, as I come into church this morning, as I picture meeting with you and me being who I am and you being who you are, I, I picture this, that I, we are a group of struggling sinners. That, that, that's what I picture and the one preaching is there with you. I am a struggling sinner. And this morning, I, I want to talk about an important passage, to begin talking about an important passage of how to deal with sin, how to work through it, how to uh, deal with it. And this is Jesus' words. This is not my uh, manipulating a, a message to talk about what I want to talk about. By the way, um, I am one of those ones that would like to talk about other things. I, I would like to talk about how great life is and fun and uh, laugh louder and everything's great and everything's great and everything's great. And yet the reality, that's delusion, but the reality is that everything isn't great. And Jesus knew that and so he instructed us from his word. Um, I could say it this way, today I'm going to preach about something I know about. I know about. so, And apart from Christ, I would be stuck in it. I would be stuck in it. There would be no hope for me getting out of it. 
So uh, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you, (coughs) starting at verse 15 down through verse 20 and uh, begin our time together. If a brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I I say to you, If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. God, I ask your blessing on your word. I ask that you would help us to understand it, to take it in. Uh, May we have the same heart as you when it comes to our sin and the sins of our brothers. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we look at this passage, most of you have heard of this passage before, and you look at this as the church discipline passage of how we go through the process of kicking someone out of the church. Uh, How many of you have uh, seen this in a church or participated in it or, yeah, many of you know about this. Um, I I want us to think in terms of this, and really I think this is the picture that we should look at this passage, and we're really only going to get through that first step this morning, uh, and then we'll pick it up next week and maybe the week even following, because I think it's such an important issue for us here today. I want to title this, I don't know what, I think I said loving your brother part one, but this particular message, I want to, the points that we're looking at this morning or storm the beaches for my brother. Storm the beaches for my brother. You can picture yourself as uh, part of an, uh, a soldier, if you will. Uh, and you, you're, you're out on your boat and you're, you see the beach and you realize that your brother is in danger on the beach or uh, on the shore somewhere. He's hidden. He's in a dangerous spot. And you realize the risk of going into enemy territory and you realize the danger and you like your comfort and you, and you want to stay back, but you realize that your brother is at risk and you must storm the beaches because what's at risk is your brother's at risk, is that he's the one that's in danger. And because of your love and your connection to your brother, you're willing to go. So we'll think of this in terms of storm the beaches for my brother. And verse 15 is wave one, if you will. Wave one. I've already made mention of this, but verse 15 is if your brother, if your brother. And and Jesus is talking about the kingdom and setting up what is to come his church 
He's setting it up in such a way that's different, that's different. That it is no longer a competition in this church to see who, or in this assembly, who's going to be the best and the way I live is better than the way you live and so I'm better than you and you need to kind of uh, appreciate me because I'm great and holy because I've done this, I've given this much, I've done this sacrifice, I look in this sort of way. Jesus is pushing all that aside and he's saying, in my kingdom, the new way to do things is this, brother. It's a brother relationship. And I want to tell you that this is what we are seeking here at Bear Valley Church. We are seeking it. We still struggle with this idea of brother and sister in Christ. We still struggle with this idea that we are connected in a family relationship not because we are family, in a sense where we grew up in the same household, you're, you're my cousin, and you know my sister married your brother, and we're somehow connected that way. It's not because of that. It's because of Jesus that he brought us together in this relationship, which I'd say this way, which we would never have otherwise. Never. When I look at this group of people, you know, some would say we're diverse. Other would say we're weird, you know. There, there's so, we like different things. We, we live different ways. Our houses are different. Our occupations are different. We, we value different things. It's all different. And, you know, I, I'll point this out by one particular thing that, that's an issue for me. Um, some of you like uh, four bean salad. You know what that is? It's the it's cold. It's cold, and they put the, you get these beans. Garbanzo beans are in there, by the way, and you put vinegar on it, and you like that. That separates us. Okay, that separates us. And I'll say this: the only thing that could unite us is the gospel. Okay. I found a couple of uh, cans of that or jars of that in the kitchen, the church kitchen, and I thought, when are we ever going to use that? And why would we do so? Um, we are diverse. We are diverse. We are different. We, we consider what one another finds good, weird, and, and we would not come together. We're of different ages and, and ethnicities and backgrounds, and uh, we're just different. And yet what? Jesus is saying, I'm bringing you together in a brother-sister relationship. I'm making you family. I'm making you family. This is different. This isn't an entrance. I'm putting you in this situation, and you're to care about one another. Why? Because you're family. And so he refers and he uses this term brother. That as we consider one another in the assembly, in the group, in, in this group that I'm gathering together. And it's interesting. He uses the word assembly here. We translate it church because we see that coming. We see that coming. It's this idea of community, community, that your life matters to me and my life matters to you. And it's not, it's not an individual thing. I, I know that 
being part of the United States of America, we are individuals and we're, we're big into that. We say, mind your own business and I'll mind my own business. I'll take care of my stuff. You take care of your stuff and we'll be separate. And Jesus says, yeah, that's fine for your country. But for you, I'm gathering you together in the assembly. I'm, I'm gathering you together in a family relationship. And so I, I want to tell you, in the midst of a conversation about sin, Jesus is talking about this in terms of brother, okay? And he says this, if, you, if your brother sins against you, sins against you. Now, uh, there's a, a textual problem there. Uh, sins against you or sins. Different uh, translations have different words there. Uh, one says, uh, if your brother sins, meaning unlimited, if you see someone sinning, this is what you should do. And other translations take the words, if he sins against you. And the ESV, which I'm using this morning, uh, also a few other translations as well, New King James and, and others say sins against you. Think about that right now. What would be the difference? If someone sins, if someone sins, if you see anybody sinning in the assembly, in, in, your, in the group that you're a part of, in the, the brother-sister relationship that the Lord has brought you into, if anyone sins, you're to go do this. And the second uh, one that we look at, if anyone sins against you, if they, you're personally offended by this, I want to tell you that I don't think it means uh, it makes much difference. I don't think the point is whether it's against you or if it's just against someone else. But the issue by context is what? Sin, right? That's the issue. And, and really, as we are in family relationship, uh, if you sin, if you sin against my brother, <laughs> I could be offended by that as well, and it's a sin against me because we're connected. Okay, so don't get hung up on whether it's against you or not against you or if it's just sin. Jesus is speaking of a violation uh, of, his, of his rule, of his desire, and the offense that someone would have against them. Sin is the issue. Um, and what Jesus is getting at, and this would be different to, to the people that he was talking to, is that he, his desire in community is a holy community, not a hypocritical community. The, the idea of a hypocritical community is the idea of saying, what we believe in, we don't practice. What, what the teaching is of our, of our teacher, of our rabbi, is interesting intellectually, but it doesn't play itself out in life, which makes a hypocritical community. And this is what they were used to. This is what the Pharisees and the scribes and, and the Sadducees, as they set up things, you could see it in their lives. You could see the uh, the, the anger in the way they spoke. You could see the pride that, that uh, fleshed itself out in so many different ways and the selfishness of gathering to themselves comforts while causing others to pay. And Jesus 
lays this down and in other passages as well, he brings to them as his desire is for a holy community, a different community, not a hypocritical community. And I believe this morning that this is uh, God's desire for us, is that we would be a holy community. A community that's taking God at his word, listening to it, and seeking to obey it. Fumbling and stumbling, stepping into sin, backtracking, being timid and and lacking the, the strength to do it, but seeking to honor him and be the holy community that he wants us to be. So holy community, not a hypocritical community. This is what he's calling us to. And so how do we accomplish this? What is he calling us to do? And he says this, that we are to go, that we are to go. We are, if this brother sins against you, you're to go and tell him his fault. Uh, When I hear the word go in the book of Matthew, uh, I think about the Great Commission, that we are to go, that we are to go. What does that mean to go? Move, move. Take steps, uh, make plans, get moving, get moving. Uh, a lot of us are good strategizers and planners. We like to dream and, and think about things and never go, and never go. We plan trips that we don't take. We, we think of houses that we'll never build. We, we look at do-it-yourself pro- projects that we're never going to touch, we're never going to touch but we never go, we never do. And Jesus' uh, action for us is that in this seeing of the brother that sins, experiencing something that is, is gone wrong, that we are to go, we are to go. As you think about this idea of going, um, it doesn't say wait, it doesn't say Wait. It doesn't say wait for the opportune time. It, it, it doesn't say wait until uh, things just come together and you happen to be alone with someone. It says go. And I think for us this morning, uh, we need to think in terms of being active in this, the idea that we are ready and willing. And why? Because we like it? No. Not because we like it. Because our brother is at risk. Our brother is at risk. I look at uh, you all here as parents, uh, and those of you who are parents here, and you'll do crazy things for your kids. You'll do things that, that are outside of your comfort zone. You will, you, you will stay up late. You will go to, you, you know, go to places you'd never go. Why? Because you think of the, the safety and the love that you have for your child. And the same kind of love is for our brother that says, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. It doesn't matter if it's outside of my comfort zone. I will go. I will go for them. I will storm the beach on their behalf. So don't wait for an opportune time. And, and then what do we do? We tell him his fault. And you, some of you cheer in your heart right now and you say, oh, I love telling people their fault. 
I was teasing the ladies about that spider web, and then I was thinking about it when I was right there, and I thought, oh, no. It really wasn't the women that do that. It's the engineers who do that. And I was thinking about Hannah's father, the engineer, and he was saying, you missed a spot. Anyways, um, we, uh, I, I love, I, you know, there, there's a, a prideful, selfish joy that I have in telling people their faults. I love to say, ha ha, I gotcha. You blew it. And I want you to hear this in the context of what's going on. It's sin, it's sin. And it's in the context of the danger to the community that this sin is a danger to relationship. I think that uh, what we, we need to see here is this, that it's not a big deal because it's their sin. It's a big deal because it affects the community. It affects relationship. And I, I, I find this interesting that Jesus, it's, it, at this point, the assembly isn't the assembly. <laughs> That there is no, they're just kind of wandering around with Jesus at this point. And there's kind of some believers in him sprinkled in this area. There aren't these churches that are set up. It's a very loose group at this time. And what does Jesus know? That sin is going to affect relationships, even prior to getting the church together. And I want to tell you, um, your sin's going to affect me and my sin's going to affect you. And so Jesus wants us to know the importance of this. And so he brings us to the place for the very simple reason that he wants us to get to this place that we would come together, we would come together, and we'd be willing to say, this is wrong, this is wrong. Um, most of us don't like hearing, like, I like telling people they're wrong. I, I don't really like hearing that I'm wrong. Right? Uh, some of you uh, would say, and at times I like to say this, that I just tell it like it is. I just tell it like it is. Um, most of us who tell it like it, like to tell it like it is, don't like to hear it like it is. Right? You, you, you're more than willing, and I'm more than willing to let it fly, but for people to say, um, you're wrong, you're, you're abrasive. You're mean-spirited, the way you said that. So he calls us together to what? To see the fault, to see the fault, to see where we have sinned. I want to encourage you about this. Um, And I want to say it this way. Chapter and verse is best. Chapter and verse is best. And let me explain that. When I say chapter and verse, I'm not saying... Uh, some of you have been to Bible college and, uh, and you, you realize that you know the, if you know the scripture, you can make it say whatever you want and you can point people and you say, aha, you're wrong right here, chapter and verse. What I'm saying by chapter and verse is this, that we graciously and kindly in a, a, a loving brother relationship, we go to them and we say, Jesus said this. Jesus said this. He called you and I to this. And I see something in your life. Uh, it's, uh, it's an attitude, but it exemplifies itself in this. And this is, this, this is where God said this. You need to look at this. And, and the reason you use the Bible is this. Because um, 
if you don't, it's just your opinion against mine. It's just the way you perceive life and you live life and I live a different way. And I want to tell you once again, we're driven together through the gospel. We're driven together through what God has said in his word. And so uh, for a brother who's in a dangerous spot, we're willing to storm the beaches. We're willing to go. We're willing to step out. Why? Because there's a fault, and this fault, the, the, the problem with it is that it will have waves of implications, both for the church and for mine and your relationship, and it will spill on to others. I wish so often that as I talk about sin, that I could somehow insulate the rest of the world from my sin, but I can't. I, I can't. The selfish acts that I do, are, they, they fall over to my wife and to my children, to this church, to the people I'm in relationship to. This is what happens. And so the danger of sin is that it would go unchecked, that it would go unpointed out. And we can live in this delusion that we're fine, though we're disobeying God's word. And so uh, Jesus says, you know, if your brother sins or sins against you, that you should go and you should tell him his fault. He makes a distinction of how to go and how to tell him his fault. And it goes like this. And it's very important. I think it's a very important principle, not just for this, but for others. Other situations as well. Middle of verse 15. Between you and him alone. Between you and him alone, privately, privately. I'm not going to do it, but I, I wanted to use an example. I wanted to pick somebody out right here and tell them their fault right in front of everybody. And how, yeah, I, I chose not to. I, sometimes the Spirit of God restrains me, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Uh, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? If I, if I picked one of you out and I publicly rebuked you, and you're going, well, you're just embarrassing me. It's like you don't care about me. And I could say, oh, it's because I care about the truth and you need to repent. And uh, We'll get there, okay? We'll get there. But how to resolve personal matters of sin, offenses one to another, how do you do that? Privately, privately. You, you, you pull them aside and you say, hey, there's something I need to talk to you about, you know? You said something. I watched you do this. I saw you about this. What about this? Um, if, we, if we don't do it privately, what, what do we usually do in replacing this idea of going to them privately? Think in your mind right now. What's the, what's the wrong thing that we do? And, you, and you, somebody got it. <laughs> uh, I... I want to say it's to go publicly, but most of the time it's not, is it? It's to gossip. It's to, it's to gossip. I have something against you. I, I've seen something in your life, and instead of coming to you privately, I talk about it with others. I talk about it with others. I, I want to tell you, um, you look through, especially the book of Proverbs, gossips everywhere. And, and maybe we're at a place in this church we take a whole morning and we talk about gossip. That'd be ironic, wouldn't it? Uh, gossip. Uh, when is gossip okay? 
I, I have one technicality that we can do. There's one time where gossip is okay. When you're talking to the Lord about it. Because he already knows. He already knows what's going on with that person. You know what? Uh, gossip's not good among close friends. This is my friend. And I just vent with them all the time. This is my close friend and I go sin with them all the time. Gossip is not good uh, among brothers and sisters. You know, like biological brothers and sisters. Oh, we share everything. Sin. I want to tell you, gossip is not okay with a father or a mother. You say, well, I just always run things by my mom and my dad first. That's not okay. God doesn't have a special category where he says gossip's okay in this category. He says it's wrong. And the, the other way, his way of doing things is if you have something against someone, you go to them. You go to them. And you go to them privately. This uh, would solve all kinds of problems at Bear Valley Church. It would slow things down. The rumor mill would be, you know, uh, two, two things in the gossip thing. First of all, uh, if it's not something you need to know, don't care about it. You don't need to get the news. We don't need a hotline here, okay? Uh, secondly, if it is something that uh, you, can, you can bring that whole conversation down to a moment with that one person privately. And so he calls us to go and to go and to be with them privately. You know what? Um, and this is where we come to really the application this morning, the, the way all this kind of comes together for this first point, this first wave, if you will. Gossip's not the answer, it's sin. Um, if there's, you know, one other thing, it doesn't say go tell the pastor and he will go talk to them, right? Don't go tell the pastor. Uh, uh, take care of it. Go to them privately, uh, personally and privately. These three things kind of bring this together. How you deal with these relations. Talk it out in faith is always how we should work. As we go to one another and we're talking this out, uh, we're going to them as brothers. We're going to them as brothers in a family relationship and talking about it in faith in, in regards to Jesus is participating with us as we go. We'll get to that in the end. But, but you look at this and you go, this is the way to do it. Talk it out in faith. This is the way this should work. Secondly, privacy, privately is always best. In fact, I would even say this, that the privacy uh, in this one-to-one relationship is best all the time. Even if it's not a sin issue, is that you go and you talk to people face-to-face, voice-to-voice. Face-to-face is always best, by the way. I'll just text them. Uh, you're texting. Uh, it's easy to sin through texting. It's easy to be misheard through texting. Emails as well. Those are great, both great tools for some things, but not all things, okay? So go to them and privately work this out. This, this idea of, of being face-to-face. And I want to point out one last thing. This is for blatant or obvious sin, what is being spoken of here. 
blatant or obvious sin. Um, I, I, want, I want you to be very careful, very careful. Um, when you go to someone and say, you know what, I, 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 wanna, I wanted to tell you something. I've been working through the scriptures. Pastor Kevin preached on this this last week. And I, I want to come to you, and I just want to tell you, you're a prideful man. I wouldn't encourage you to do that. You know why? Because you'd be right. You, you could pick any one of us here. You could pick any person here and say, you're a prideful man and I wanted to confront you and make this uh, charge against you. Uh, that's easy. We can find that one easy, okay? But when, those, when that pride inside manifests itself in some kind of action that you can point to, it brings a clarity of it. It shows a motive. It, it comes out selfishness the same way, some kind of perversion the same way. When you can point to something, Jesus spoke of sins in terms of what comes at the heart, but he also spoke of how it manifests itself. And the danger here is this, that we would go poking at one another and go, aha, I got you. I know this is wrong with you, and I know this, and we constantly are pointing to one another. But instead, as a brother coming alongside and says, hey, I see you struggling in this. Your, your sin was manifested this way. To, to call them, to bring them home on this blatant and manifested sin so that they might be um, brought back. And I, I want to just end with this. I realize we've only got through one step or one uh, wave this morning God's word says this, and this we've only gone through one verse this morning. This is awesome. <laughs> Turning into a preacher. Um, <clears throat> what is it? What's the conclusion? If this works out, it says this: If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he listens to you, and the idea of listening to you is the idea that that he's taking in, that he's hearing you, and realizing the error of his ways. And I want to say this, sweet success. Sweet success. You have gained your brother. The opposite is true if he doesn't listen, right? You've lost your brother. Um, some of you have lost a sibling to death and the, the heartache of that and just the difficulty of that. Others of you have lost a sibling uh, because of difficulty in relationship and you don't know where they are right now. You know the heartache of that. I, I want to tell you uh, that the joy that we could have as we come and we go to one another and we realize that the wandering brother, the one that's going off into this hip hypocritical life of sin while claiming to know the truth, as we go to them and as they listen, Sweet success, sweet success as you've won your brother. I want to tell you that this is the goal. This is the goal. Uh, we don't want to kick anybody out of the church. We don't, that's not even really the, the right way to look at this. But th this idea, we never want to separate. The goal of this is real simple. Reconciliation with God reconciliation with man this is the goal of going to anyone in sin is that they might be reconciled to god that they might be brought back into that right relationship 
and that they might be reconciled in community, in community one to another. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. God, I ask that your word would sink deep into our hearts. Um, God, we struggle with sin in many ways. Our hearts are cold. We want to do it the world's way. God, I ask that you would make us willing to go, uh, ready to go, excited not in terms of pointing out one another's fault, but excited in in the hopes that we would gain the brother back. God, I ask that you would protect us from gossip. I ask that you would convict us of that, that we would not be willing to talk badly about another brother, that if we have something, that we would uh, practice what you desire for us to practice. God, may we be sweet and gracious as you have been to us, kind and merciful, calling us home. May we take on the same... uh, posture where it says in the book of Romans that your kindness led us to repentance. God, do your work in your church and in us individually. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. You are dismissed.